Good morning, church, and uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there, both biological and adopted and, uh, uh, you know, mothers through friends, everyone. Um, there are many different forms that a mother can take. Uh, mother's Day is a great day to celebrate. Um, it is, on the other hand, a difficult day to preach. Uh, there's always a difficulty with preaching on Mother's Day um, because it is, for some, a very happy and joyous day and a day of celebration, and that's great, and we want to encourage that. On the other hand, it's always a hard day for others. Um, and so, so preaching on Mother's Day is always a sensitive issue, but it's, it's especially difficult this year. It's especially hard in the current time because, because there's tension between wanting to celebrate and wanting to walk with those who are hurting and those who are sad, especially this year for us and for me. I kept, as I was looking at the Psalms, I kept being pulled to Psalms of praise and thanksgiving when I was thinking about the venue service because we have so much to celebrate and to thank God for in relation to motherhood uh, this year. We have seen new mothers in our community here in the venue. We've seen miracles in relation to motherhood, and we want to give God the praise and glory in, in relation to those. Um, we want to praise him for his goodness uh, to his people. But at the same time, this year has been, and this Mother's Day is happening in, in a very different circumstance than it normally does. Um, while we have so many people who are joyous, we also have people who are really struggling, uh, people who have lost their mother this year, uh, mothers who are struggling in the midst of this pandemic and lockdown and all the stuff that comes along with that. And then there's the added bit of, of people who haven't been able to see their mothers, who have been separated from their mothers because they're in nursing homes and the, the, the heartache with that. Um, so ultimately, I think the best way to go about it is to look to the Psalms um, and its guidance, in particular with how to deal with sadness. If you're happy and celebrating this morning, that's great, and we want to praise you. And, you know, go to Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 138, read those and, and, and pray those and thank God for the blessings that we have. But as a community, we need to surround those who are hurting this year and uh, look for wisdom and guidance in the Psalms through that. Last week, we, we discussed Psalm 103, and we looked particularly at how it teaches us to speak to ourselves, to move ourselves from apathy to praise. Today, I kind of want to continue that theme of self-talk, of speaking to ourselves. only this week, we're not looking at how to move from apathy to praise, but self-talk and prayer and worship in the midst of sadness, in the midst of pain. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. So if you have a Bible near you, go ahead and grab, the, uh, grab that and turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and 43 are one of those weird uh, psalms that um, shouldn't really be separated. In most Hebrew manuscripts, there's only one psalm. Um, but for some reason, they've been broken up. It's no big deal. Uh, but they really are together. Not in the sense at how psalm, uh, some psalms are, are companions to each other. This was actually originally one text. Um, and you can see it in the structure. And the structure of this psalm is very important. Okay? Uh, it really helps you make sense of the flow of it. In this psalm, there are three different stanzas. And then there's like a chorus in between. So in, in, in chapter 42, it's verses 1 through 4. 
And then you have that, that refrain, that, that chorus that comes in, which, uh, in verse 5, which says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such t- turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. That's repeated over and over again. So you have, so verses 1 through 4 make up the first stanza. Verses 6 through 10 make up the second stanza. And then 43, 1 through 4 make up the third stanza. And after each of those is the refrain, is that repeated, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. So this is one song, really formulated song, with three stanzas and a repeated chorus, a repeated refrain. And throughout the psalm, so we're circling the same problem. We don't know, once again, exactly what the problem is, what is causing the pain, what is causing the distress, but it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the way that it, it's the emotions that we need to be paying attention to. So let's open up by looking at verses one through four. As a deer longs for flowing streams, So I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, all the day long, people have said to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Psalm 42, especially the opening line, is a very famous line, and it's, it's the, the poetry of the whole psalm is so beautiful, but this opening one is, has gained its own life, kind of. As a deer longs for living streams, or in other translations, as a deer pants for water, so I long for you, God. This Psalm has become very famous. You can see it all over the place. There's artwork dedicated to it. And, and like what tends to happen when a verse of the Bible takes on a life of its own um, is the meaning shifts. Um, the, the definition of what that means changes. Oftentimes, if you look up artwork associated with this verse, it's this very pristine, beautiful, scenic view, right? Uh, and you have this deer by this beautiful lake and everything's green and luscious. That's, that's not the, the feel of this text. That's not the, the, the scenario that this psalmist is imagining here. As a deer longs for flowing streams, a deer wouldn't long for flowing streams if the deer was next to a flowing stream, right? It would say, it would say as a deer drinks from the flowing stream, right? That's what the, the, the deer would do. Deers are not intelligent animals, but they're not that dumb, right? Um, and so, so the, the, the point here is that there is no flowing stream. There, there, there is no water. This is not this beautiful scenic view. This is, this is a deer who is about to dehydrate, who is panting and longing for flowing streams. This is not a, a, something that you would, you would think of as, as a, a scenic um, thing. This is, this is not the uh, beautiful flowing vistas. This is a desert, and the deer is searching frantically for water before it expires. This is a deep and desperate image that the psalmist is appearing here. And just like someone who is about to die of dehydration longs for water, longs for the, to quench that thirst, so this psalmist longs for, for God. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? This psalm is appropriate for our current season for so many different reasons. Number one, part of this psalm is the psalmist 
desiring to go to the temple, to go to God's presence and be there as we all are longing to come back together where we can worship fully in our embodied practice. But there's more than that here. The, the, the psalmist is not just sad because of the separation. There is a problem. There's something going on that is causing this deep sadness. And the psalmist is longing for God in relation to that. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I love the contrast in images here. There is this, this contrast in images. The, the psalmist, like the deer, is, is longing, is panting for streams of flowing water, thirsting for God, right? That imagery of God's presence. Instead, there is none of that. There is no flowing stream. God's presence seems elusive and far off, but there is water. Instead of having a flowing stream, the psalmist here is drinking and eating his own tears. This deep and, 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 and overwhelming sadness that keeps flowing, that play off imagery of longing for fresh water, but only having your own tears is a heartbreaking contrast in this verse. It's such a, such a deep, um, poetic image that we could sit with for a while. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long people say to me, where is your God? The psalmist is in a place of desperation, a place of feeling separated from God. And people are taunting him, saying, where's your God? Where's your God? We see this oftentimes in the Old Testament. We see it throughout history when, when something hard happens, when something difficult happens, and someone has a deep spiritual belief, people are oftentimes either implying or saying directly, Where, where's your God in the midst of this? Have any of us heard that? I know I've seen uh, articles and things written just like that in the moment we are currently in, people looking at people who have a belief and saying, where is your God now? Where is your God? Verse 4, we're going to come back to that idea. Verse 4 comes, comes in and says this, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. The psalmist is clearly expressing this deep loneliness, this deep distance, and, and thirsting for the presence of God, right? Um, and And... Here, he's not just longing for God's presence, but what he's calling to mind is not just, just being alone with God's presence, but is the community of believers, is being around people who have the same spiritual understanding. He remembers this joyous procession of worship. The psalmist is, is longing to be connected with others again. Last week in Psalm 103, we looked at how David used things in his memory to move himself to praise, right? Times when God moved, right? Times when God acted. Here, it's a little bit different. The psalmist isn't calling this memory to mind to move himself out of sadness. It is, it is I remember this as I pour out my heart. So this is connected to the lament. The psalmist is, is almost contrasting his current loneliness with that one time when there was this joyous and thankful celebration. He recognizes that he is no longer in the same place that he was then, right? We talk about this all the time but in, in, in the Psalms. 
there's a movement, there's, there's these movements, these phases, these seasons that we go through in our spirituality, and Walter Brueggemann calls them orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Here is the psalmist recognizing that he is in disorientation, and there's no going back to orientation, right? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. That's not where the psalmist is anymore. The psalmist isn't in that place, even if he longs for it, even if in his loneliness he's, he wants the presence of God like a deer panting for water. But there's a contrast in this. That's not where he is. And there's so much wisdom in that, and we're going to come back to that idea. And then we get to the refrain. The refrain, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Oftentimes, this why, are, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? That, that's misunderstood. Uh, I've heard many times people say this of like, the psalmist is, is sort of um, denying or trying to uh, sort of put aside the pain that he's in, the sadness that he's feeling, trying to downplay it to himself, right? Or say that it's not legitimate. That's not what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is not trying to say, soul, you have no reason to be dejected. You have no reason to be in turmoil. That's not the point here. If that were the case, then the psalm would end after verse 5. Or at least it would move from disorientation to reorientation. If the psalmist was telling himself that you have no real reason to be sad, look at how good God is, right? And that was enough, that was it, that'd be the end of the lament. But it's not. Verse 6 goes immediately back to the lament. It goes even further down into the rabbit hole of lament and sadness, right? That's not what these, this question is. The question is not aimed to delegitimize what the psalmist is feeling or to downplay the sadness. The point is that the psalmist will not sit in sadness alone. The psalmist will not let sadness have the only word. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? There's good answers to this question. We see them in the surrounding parts of the psalm. No, the point isn't that there's nothing to be dejected about. There is no reason to be sad. The point is, there's a point where we can take that too far. The psalmist will not sit in sadness alone. He will call himself. He will move himself to praise yet still. Put your hope in God, for I will praise him still, my Savior and my God. The psalmist here is not going to let only one emotion dictate his current state. And I think sometimes this is a mistake. I've said before, and we're going to come back to this idea, that you cannot move through disorientation by ignoring it, right? And that's true. You can't, like, if, if, if something's wrong and, and you have an issue in your spiritual life or you're, you're depressed or you're angry at God, just ignoring it does not resolve the issue. We must learn to voice it, to move through it. But we also can go too far to where all we do is sit in it. We're sad or we're upset we're longing for God, and he's not there, and then we just sit in the sadness, doing nothing. No, once again here, the Psalms instruct us that we must guide our souls, guide our emotions, guide our hearts toward what is right. So the psalmist here keeps pushing, keeps straining to make sure that hope isn't quenched out in the midst of this sadness, right? 
that hope doesn't die, that his praise doesn't end in the midst of this. Verse 6 goes back to the lament. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? The lament continues here, but it moves from this longing and this sadness, this eating of tears, to an even deeper state, this deep depression. And the imagery of water is still being played with here, right? It was the flowing stream that the deer pants for. Then it's the tears coming down the face. Well, here, the psalmist is out stuck at sea during a storm, right? And all the waves and breakers are crashing over here. It's just chaos. The waters represent that chaotic scene where there is no hope. You can see no land. All there is is breakers and and waves all around, Even in the midst of this, verse 7 and 8 are so interesting because in the imagery of the, um, the storm and the sea of this chaos, he says, the Lord sent... The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. Now, that sounds kind of positive, right? But what is the prayer? I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Right? So the psalmist is, is in the midst of this struggle of like saying, no, the Lord has this faithful love, and, and, and I will continue this conversation. I'm not going to back out of the conversation, but at the same time, what I'm going to pray is, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of my enemy's oppression? Earlier we saw in verse 3 how all the day long people say to me, where is your God? That's repeated again in day 10. My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say, where is your God? Here we see that that taunt, that mocking has been internalized, right? It it is broken into the psalmist's own soul. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? This external voice has become internal, which is something that is so easily happens in the midst of sadness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of depression. This verse here is quoted in Jonah when Jonah's in the belly of the whale in his prayer, this breakers in your waves have swept over me. The psalmist is in a state of chaos, a state of not knowing what's going on, this, deep, this deepening depression. And then we get the stanza, uh, the, the refrain again. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist will not let go, will not let the billows and the breakers be the final word. No, he's going to, to sturdy his soul, to call his soul to praise, to not just be dejected, but to worship. The next stanza in chapter 43 moves from lament to plea, to asking God to prayer. Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. 
Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the lyre, God my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalmist ends with this call, God, do something, move. But what we see is there is no resolution. The psalmist ends still in the same place. The psalmist is still in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the trouble that is pressing in, that is breaking over him. And he's just calling his soul to hold on. Hold on until God comes. Hold on, keep praising, keep talking until God acts. There is a deep hope expressed at the end of the prayer that God will move. This whole psalm, Psalm 42 and 43, is is filled with such wisdom for difficult times, for times like this, for times of struggle, especially lasting struggle. There is so much wisdom that we can learn here, and I just want to point out a couple of them. First, and, and this, is, this is a base one, but it is so important, there is such a wisdom in, in expressing ourselves in prayer and worship of not denying. And, and we talked about this when we first looked at the Psalms, but here we see it fleshed out more, right? The psalmist does not put on a face at all, does not put on an affront to God and say, um, oh, this is what I think God wants to hear, so this is what I'm gonna say. And, and this is so often how we act when we come to worship. Um, And it really, some people are more sensitive to it than others, but throughout my life I've known many people who have a really hard time going to church on Sunday morning, especially in places like suburban places, Um, because you come to church on Sunday morning and there's a bunch of people who have put on their best clothes, who are all smiling. You know, it's almost like an Instagram picture, but like just on Sunday morning, right? People try and keep it put together, put on their face and make it seem like we're this happy family, you know? And, and oftentimes what you can see is you can be in a church, you can see the same family over and over again. One week they're all sitting together and then midweek you find out that the parents are getting a divorce and you're like, whoa, what, what, where'd that come from? But we're so, we've become so good at acting when we come to worship. So good at putting on a face, it's become this socialite sort of country club-like gathering place that it really robs aspects of our worship, right? Because an aspect of worship is being authentic, is saying, here's where I'm at, God. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to pour out, and I'm going to say what I actually feel. This psalmist here does a beautiful job of moving through and not 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 shying away not hitting the problem and then retreating no in the first stanza the psalmist says i I, i'm longing for you god i need you in the second stanza the psalmist gets down to point and say no no i'm not just sad i am deeply depressed i'm about to drown at sea and that leads to the final prayer of god do something move i'm trying my hardest to hold out hope but i need you you are my savior and my god Putting on a face in worship doesn't do much for our worship. Trying to act as if we have it all together and and failing to learn how to express ourselves to God through worship and through prayer is not a recipe for a lifelong um, discipleship, a a lifelong spiritual journey. Uh, This is not what it looks like. We must not 
deny how we're actually feeling in our prayer and in our worship. We must learn to express those things, learn to walk with God and others through those issues. Um, and, and today is, is Mother's Day, and, and so the most obvious analogy is motherhood. Uh, and the most appropriate analogy. Motherhood is not something that is constantly smiles and, and, and happiness, right? It's hard. There are difficulties, and it's, it's difficult at different stages for everyone. Birth is very difficult, and right after it is, it hits some women harder than others. Um, but everyone has a struggle along the way. It gets difficult. Raising human beings is difficult. And we must learn to bring God on that journey with us or we're just gonna wither and we're gonna dry up. If we fail to bring God on that journey, then we'll, we will continue to pant, continue to long for flowing streams, not finding any. If all we do is, is sort of stop praying when things get hard and then start praying again when we feel better, we're not gonna grow, we're not gonna mature, we're not going to survive on a lifelong spirituality. It will wither inside of us if it is not watered. Also, I do want to say, um, this psalm is walking us through how to process sadness, like how to, how to d d express it and discuss it in a way that is not just harmful to where we sit in it, right, but is helpful and moves us toward faithfulness. That's why this psalm was collected into the psalm, uh, the book of Psalms, and used by communities for thousands of years. But that's not to say that that means you walk through this and at the end, it's over, right? There's different kinds of sadness. There's different kinds of depression. Um, and I think this is helpful for everyone. But if your depression persists unchanged, you need to get help. Um, I think that for many people, um, they've never had an issue with this, never needed to go to therapy, um, never needed to see a counselor, maybe ne never needed med medication. I think that maybe um, this pandemic will have changed that for some people. So even if you've never struggled with this, but you find yourself being off, being unable to get back to where you were, you need to seek help. Um, there's no shame in that. That's not against our faith. That's not against the Psalms spirituality whatsoever. Use this in the meantime to continue to hold on to that hope, but we uh, firmly believe that God works in a variety of ways, that his grace is general as well as specific, right? So epidurals is a general grace, right? Uh, communion is a specific grace, right? So the, the, the science of psychology is a general grace, right? So we need to take advantage of all of that. Um, yeah, I just didn't feel like I could leave without saying that. Second, second bit of wisdom from this psalm is, um, is that, that idea of we need to learn how to, how to balance between not denying our emotions, but not always letting our emotions rule, right? There's a delicate balance there between uh, the psalmist here bounces back and forth between expressing beautifully and deeply where they are. I am deeply depressed. I feel like I'm in the middle of a sea and, and there's nothing I can do. I'm about to die. But then also being able to say, but, but don't give up yet. Hold out hope. I'm still going to praise you because you're my God and my Savior. I think that's a difficult thing to do, um, to speak truth to ourselves without denying our emotions. And then finally, and, and, and the most importantly, and the most difficult, the psalmist 
knows what he actually needs. The prayer here is not that God would um, make the sadness go away or resolve the problem. The psalmist longs for what he ultimately needs, God. Verse 2, I thirst for God, the living God. Chapter 4, verse 4, then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. The psalmist knows exactly what he needs, exactly where his heart's desires should be pointing. He's longing for the right thing, more than for the sadness to go away, more than for the storm to stop, more than for the depression to, 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 to leave. The psalmist wants God's presence with him where he could feel him. One of the hardest things to do is not just to um, express our emotions and learn how to do that faithfully, not just to direct our emotions, but to direct our ultimate telos, our ultimate aim, our ultimate love toward God. The psalmist here is aimed in the right direction, longing for the right thing. God, who is our ultimate good, our ultimate need. Let us pray. God, I confess that so often my longings are for the wrong things. I long to be satisfied, to be, my thirst to be quenched by something lesser than you, and it never does the job. Help us to direct our loves and our desires, our yearning and our longing toward you. You are what we need most. In Jesus' name we pray.